Hello, 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 Zeta Grace here. I'm going to start this new season or episode or whatever with a few random things I've been considering that are in no way related to each other. Number one, let's give a moment of silence for my ex-boyfriend who majored in communications, but that ended up being the very thing we were incapable of. The irony. Second, if I were an object, which While I won't get into it right this second, the way marriage is an economic proposition for women and how we can legally enter a long-term contractual agreement with an emphasis on sex and financial coercion under the pretense of marriage, but in the USA, actual sex work, which is really just shorter-term agreements with similar possibilities for complication, are somehow still illegal. But anyways, if I were an object... A topic brought up from the Ali Wong Netflix special segment about trophy wives, I think I would be an eerily cursed artifact. Hear me out. Terrifyingly all-powerful to some, worshipped at times, albeit a little fearfully, to others, a world-ending horror. It fits. Maybe if Cara Delevingne's enchantress villainess from Suicide Squad hadn't been such crack shit, I would have identified more with her and less of Harley Quinn. Probably not, though. Number three, the new season of The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu is here, and it hits a little differently when your neighbors are Amish and you see a group of six women walking in their garb across the field on your drive back from town. I am literally not making that up. Also, I once told Strider that he reminded me of Nick from The Handmaid's Tale, and we're not going to dissect that any further, but let's just say the little monologue on stubbornness and stupidity is really fucking with me. Number four, spring has sprung. The greenery is out, and my seasonal affective disorder has been released like a cape, safely tucked away for the summer. I just came back from Arizona after being fully vaccinated and hiked all around Phoenix and Scottsdale with one of my best friends. This woman is basically a motherfucking champ because she is essentially a single mom in a lot of ways and by herself because her partner travels a lot for work right now and is in a very sensitive career spot. So I got to hang out with her and her child who is only 15 months old but essentially is a full toddler already because what else would you expect when his dad is actually 7 feet tall? That baby is so smart. We don't give enough credit to methods of communication that differ from our norm in adulthood, and the intelligence of babies reflects this. We took him hiking almost every day and talked a lot about anxiety, the state of the world, raising children in this social climate and time of uncertainty, naivety and innocence, and women in sports. Lot of fun rants coming at you soon. Back on topic for the day, a theme near and dear to what I'm sure is almost every woman's heart. To those who may be unaware and live under a questionably larger rock than Patrick Starr from Spongebob, the friend zone is a mythological creation by misogynistic men who think it is every woman's obligation to inherently be drawn to fucking them. Apparently, humanity's purpose towards collaboration and social or emotional support must benefit men sexually in some way, else they consider it rude and a slight if you can see value in them beyond and excluding their reproductive fitness. Forgive me for not giving a shit. The fuck zone, a response to this so-called friend zone, first introduced to me by the fuck the patriarchy feminist splendor of an Instagram account run by several feisty women in India, is therefore the zone in which your friendship and value to another person has become useless. Because they concentrate your appeal to them based solely on whether they'll be able to sexually penetrate you or not. Therefore, they place you in the fuck zone if the only reason they seek out your companionship is for sexuality. Go purchase a sex worker. Oh wait, you can't. 
Because even though you're from the USA and politicians and police access, utilize, and exploit sex work, it's still technically illegal. Fucking corrupt political hellhole of a nation. The fuck zone is a topic near and dear to my heart because I lost my most recent best friend to this. My former best friend and I always jokingly referenced each other as Sam and Frodo, just adventuring around the world together, figuring out this thing called life. Alas, it was not meant to be. Let me walk you through a timeline of our friendship. We met in the spring of 2017 during the end of my first year of graduate school through one of my best friends from graduate school, also while I still had a long-term boyfriend. He had also gone to UF and had taken my friend on fraternity functions, just as pals, in the past. And she warned me that he had a tendency to romanticize friendships, but said he respected her boundaries and they still hung out after she had to turn him down, so I didn't think anything of it. To be honest, this is a pretty common theme as a conventionally attractive, intelligent woman anyways. We'd soon go on to just kind of get each other, and he'd frequently come into town from about an hour away to go out to bars with me. He came to my own graduate school functions and basically continued to live the semblance of a college lifestyle even though he was managing his family's businesses elsewhere. Now, this guy comes from a lot of money. How much? I don't know because it turns out I am naive as fuck about the concept of money coming from financial insecurity and having relatively no financial support from my parents who refuse to understand or even research what economic burdens millennials are encountering and they can't seem to grasp how overwhelming cycles of debt are and why I keep postponing my next schooling over financial concerns. However, because he came from an astronomically large amount of money, he had an apartment in town, literally just sitting unused for when he visited, and did not like to wait in line the few times a month he'd come out with me. So he always would bribe security with a couple hundred dollars at the door. Mind you, we usually drank for free, we knew the bartenders, and at these dive college bars. The scenario, frankly, was great for me because I also hate waiting in lines, but I am a broke-ass bitch who will do it if I have to and we got more fun time together inside the venues. Plus, I got to realize how the 1% or close to it lives. He'd usually sleep over my house, generally on a couch or this giant cushion after these nights, and we never, I mean never, hooked up. This seemed natural to me as he drove an hour to get there and we'd been drinking. Why would he not just crash there? Plus, I lived in a four-bedroom apartment alone in graduate school where I worked for my apartment complex because I had the least popular yet most expensive and least spacious floor plan, so I enjoyed having company at night, even if it was in a different room. It felt safer not sleeping alone, and in September of 2017, I had the incidents with gun violence with the guy within my apartment complex, so the extra presence, especially a masculine presence, was welcome. On a handful of occasions, we went out in Miami with some of his old UF buddies and we did share a bed, but still nothing sexual. In truth, he is a big snorer and I just wasn't attracted to him, which will turn out to have been a great fucking thing by the end of this story. Now, the first time I was in Miami with him, we went to see DJ Khaled at Story And apart from when I randomly got pulled in to get front row seats for a little dicky concert courtesy of a promoter who saw me walking past, this was only my second time in story and first time getting bottle service with a group I actually came there with, aka not just a group of guys who pulled me in because I was hot. Now, normally I like to just get a light buzz when I drink, but for some reason I got wasted, like embarrassingly throwing up after we got back to his friend's apartment wasted. 
which relative to how often he went out to me, he knew this was not the normal occurrence, so I didn't end up actually feeling guilty. I usually don't black out when I drink at all, as I typically have always thrown up way before I get anywhere near blacking out. So it's rare for me to even be drunk beyond an arguably heavy buzz at most. But I have almost no memory of even being at the club. Granted, it's a bit harder to track your drinks when you have bottle service and unlimited refills before you're even done. Or maybe it was not having watered down liquor from a college bar. You win some, you lose some. All DJ Khaled might do is win, but I undeniably lost this one. Honestly though, thank goodness I was with him and his group of guy friends, because otherwise I would have no idea what would have happened to me. I barely remember the club at all, I blacked out before DJ Khaled even came on, and then there are just splattered memories of him waiting while I used the restroom at the end of the night, and that's all I remember. Before ending up back at his friend's apartment and sleeping on the bathroom floor for a few hours until I could get my shit together, shower, and climb into bed. It makes me question whether I got drugged, honestly. I've never had that level of memory loss from alcohol. A different night, I went to Eleven with him, which is where he and his best friend introduced me to strippers. And oh my god, do I love strippers. My first lap dance ever was paid for by his best friend who got us a dual lap dance. Because if there's anything hotter than hot strippers in Miami, it's hot women enjoying hot strippers in Miami, especially for the first time especially when they're just taking money from men. Eleven is truly a paradise. He'd hire a masseuse to just massage our neck and shoulders while we watched the women, and the extent of acrobatics, dance, and theatrics at a place like Eleven is truly amazing, especially for a former gymnast to appreciate. It is the Cirque du Soleil of nightclubs. He taught me how to make it rain by handing me a stack of cash, literally more than I paid for my rent, I was with a big group of his guy friends, and this was over New Year's Eve when someone like Lil Jon or g Easy and Halsey was performing. Through him, I also got to experience what getting a table at a nightclub is like, and again, since I am a broke-ass bitch with student loans, I can't do this on my own. The fact that he'd always get us a table so I could people watch and dance by myself happily with my own space and air was awesome. This is literally the only way I enjoy nightclubs now and I simply will not go to any without it. As someone who has been sexually assaulted before in a club, it is a huge win to not be in confined quarters with random strangers who use the opportunity to cop a feel. On several occasions, I met his brother, his extended family, his friends from his hometown, you name it. I went out to bars with his cousins or family friends. Our lives were just intertwined. We ran in the same social groups. He came to most game day celebrations with me, my second year of school, as well as my Woodser, which in Floridian terms is an excuse to get fraternities, sororities, or any other group. In this case, it was the graduate schools associated with healthcare, on buses, trek everyone out to a random farm in the middle of the woods, and have a band, mechanical bowl, dance floor, and campfires for everyone to drink and collaborate around. We did all this as friends because friends are allowed to be a part of each other's lives. One time we went for a weekend in Miami, just the two of us. I had thought his friends were also coming, but nope, not how it worked out, and ended up going to Eleven alone. I got better at making it rain and was actually confident enough this time to wave off the girls I wasn't interested in. It's a special flick of the wrist motion. Not everyone has a knack for it. Over my graduation, he met and partied with my siblings, well aware of the tumultuous relationship. His own family was incredibly close, though with difficult standards for success, so he never really judged me for needing the boundaries that I needed with mine. Or so I thought. 
and he would let me update him or he'd ask about my relationship with them periodically. He also met my parents, as did most of my friends that weekend. We had an awesome time, always, no matter what we were doing. We were honestly just wonderful friends who I thought really got along and appreciated each other's presence in our lives. He was one of several men in my group of friends from there, so we all basically had the same mutual friends anyways, and I hung out with them just as often, if not more, than I hung out with him. I've grown up playing on male and co-ed sports teams, and I graduated in a male-dominated field from my undergrad, so I really don't think twice about male versus female friendships. Unfortunately, general society places a huge pressure on such because of the patriarchy and heteronormative assumptions. Emotional support is normal. Humans are social creatures when they find their niche. Quality friendship is awesome and something I truly value above all, in part because my friendships were able to show me unconditional love when my family didn't really teach me it. My friendships understood who I was and didn't need me to tailor my personality for their comfort. I moved back to Maryland for a brief period after graduation, then in August of 2018, I got into a car accident and had terrible PTSD. Still, I ended up trying to pick up my life like nothing had happened so I could pretend like I hadn't just accepted I was going to die and totaled my car in a freak accident. Since I was physically fine after a few days of being relatively immobile from the muscular fatigue and adrenaline surges, less than a week later, I had packed up my mom's second car, perks of having a truck on the farm, moved to North Carolina to live with a friend at her suggestion who needed help with an ice cream store I had managed in undergrad, and restarted sessions with my therapist from that area. Him and I remained friends, best friends even, and FaceTimed and talked constantly despite him still being in Florida. He helped take the anxiety of buying a new car off of me by telling me to find whatever model I wanted, and then he contacted the dealerships, haggled pricing, and all I really had to do was show up, confirm, and test drive the car, and sign the papers. For somebody who had been having absolutely unreal anxiety, recurrent nightmares, and flashbacks around buying a new car, every new webpage or model just caused me to relive the events of the accident, so this was huge. I don't know shit about cars. So to me, I just needed something reliable that would last me through the next 10 years and my last degree, hopefully, that was as cheap as I could get it for. I thought it was funny that he told them I was his girlfriend and the dealership was literally not allowed to discuss pricing with me or we'd walk financial insecurity, remember? And we openly joked about it when he was the first call I made from my new Subaru. He also helped my sister buy her car similarly. The guy is a great businessman and offered, so why would she not take him up on that? By our third year of friendship, he had met my parents, my siblings, because of graduation, along with several friends who visited me. We had extensively overlapping friendship circles, and I thought we were just two humans perfectly compatible for friendship. Hindsight bias is 2020. Now, if you ask me whether there were a few indicators of his feelings for me, I would say yes, but I also am going to point out that as a relatively conventionally attractive woman with intelligence, a lot of people would hit on me, and need I remind everybody that women are not obligated to be sexually attracted to anyone at any given time just because that person may serve another purpose in their life. I was always very clear about my boundaries. I literally hooked up with one of his friends. I started hooking up with my German love affair when he approached me from across the bar, only to hesitate seeing my best friend chilling between my legs as I was sitting on the bar looking out at the crowd and he was also facing outward, just positioned with his back between my legs, 
and I waved my German love affair forward to let him know that I was not with him. Occasionally, he'd reference passing flings or people his parents wanted him to date, but there were a lot of cultural considerations, and he just didn't seem that interested in any of them. There were, however, a few moments now that do make me sit back and be like, oh, maybe I am just an idiot. Exhibit A. The second time we went to Eleven, you know, just the two of us, despite me being under the impression that we were meeting up with people, his friends all had to work the next morning, supposedly. He'd gotten a hotel for the weekend and planned to share the bed. Again, we shared a bed before. I thought nothing of this weekend any different from the other ones. This time at 11, he bought us a dual lap dance, again, normal, and I'm not sure what he told the girls, if he said anything, but those ones literally untied the top of my dress, and I don't know if this is normal protocol or what, but if I had wanted him to see my tits, I would have shown him them myself. They also made out with me. I very quickly retied my dress and just enjoyed the rest of the dance. Maybe they did this on their own or were just feeling me. I don't know. After we came back from 11, again, one of the places I felt most free and happy, back at the hotel, he walks into the room, looks at me, and was like, do you want to fuck? I am so horny. Man, do some men have a way with romance. First off, Literally the biggest turnoff ever. Not, you are an amazing, beautiful princess and I adore the ground you walk on. Everything you do just amazes me, a wonderful goddess who allows me to be in her presence. Please let me worship every inch of your body and soul in the way my heart yearns to. Just a, I'm so horny because of other people, not even because of myself. Do you even know me? Second, You are my best friend, and you imply that you want to be sexually intimate for the first time, let alone with someone who has been raped in her sleep by an ex-boyfriend, sexually coerced, and assaulted multiple times, and you're aware of this sexual history, yet you imply you only want to fuck her because she's physically there and other people from the club we were just at got you so turned on? What the fuck, dude? I went into the bathroom, locked the doors, and made myself a bubble bath and just sat and cried for like 45 minutes at least. Honestly, it pretty much ruined the night. I just felt like an object. We didn't talk for like a month after that trip, and then one day he just kind of picked back up the conversation as normal, so I figured he got over it. Exhibit B. Remember in Friends when Ross, Rachel, Phoebe, and Joey are going on about having a backup in case they aren't married by the time they're 40? Well, any friend who at 25 years old makes only a five-year marriage contract, backup plan that you respond to with only five years, lol, of course I'll still be single in five years. It's not their backup plan. You're their actual plan. They just don't think you're mentally there yet, but are convinced that you will be. Exhibit C. Imagine this hypothetical scenario. Your friend has told you about this gal he's hooked up with, very consistently since October. It is now May of the following year and he is still with her, but they're not actually dating, though they have been exclusively hooking up. When you stay with that friend for a few days on your way to work on coronavirus in Florida, he ends up texting you about how nothing happened between the two of you, as if you should have wanted something to happen while he is seeing some other woman exclusively and sexually intimate with her? Please tell me in what fucking world I look like an option for you to choose to be available to you. (laughs) 
LOL, no. I am the choice, not a choice. And I damn sure don't give a flying fuck about hooking up with anyone and screwing over some other woman who thinks you're exclusive. Fuck you. I do not care about the dating norms these days. That's why I just don't get physically intimate with people I don't intimately know emotionally already. I do not trust men, rightfully so. You earn trust, you are not granted it. Surprisingly, this is a strange concept, which I get because especially white men are just granted this baseline of respect where if they learn to speak with conviction, most of the time they will not be publicly doubted or questioned and are immediately granted authority and respect because of the historical figures and representation throughout every culture's history ever. That's fine, but I don't buy it. Some of my friends have gotten STDs, sometimes lifelong ones with no cure, both from random hookups and boyfriends who were scared they'd lose them. I myself got one in undergrad from an idiotic ex-boyfriend who reassured me he was clean when he had literally never been tested, but that should show you the state of sexual education in this country. Thankfully, one pill and one week later, boom, all cleared. That was nothing, as an earlier boyfriend had tried to get me pregnant so I wouldn't be able to go to college. Men in their 20s are largely emotionally incompetent because of the patriarchy telling them to bury their emotions into everything except for sports or machines, so they can't healthily process them and most haven't started going to therapy yet, and relationships are frankly dependent on emotional competency. If you can't emotionally support me, you're literally just a walking, adjustable dildo. I'd rather just deal with one who wasn't also going to try and control me and wasn't attached to a brain that will try and take advantage of me or screw me over. Physical touch is my love language. Because I've been abused physically, emotionally, and sexually, I withhold physical touch until I am typically very comfortable with anyone now. Even with friends, I'm not great on it. I struggle with hugs and simple gestures of touch. I don't like dancing in crowds and would literally go to the townie bar in Chapel Hill called The Library, which was notoriously ghetto, read literally just black students or locals like to go there, during my gap year because I knew the DJ and bartenders and could dance and nobody would try to dance with me. White men, and especially white college men, in bars love to just appear like the fucking reverse Houdini behind women dancing without introducing themselves, without asking if they wanted to gyrate on them. They just jump in and assume they're welcome. Every single time I would dance at the library, not a single person just tried to dance with me. They'd always come up and ask in some respectful way, and just fully understand and respect me when I said no. I loved it. I hadn't realized how fucking annoyed I was at the former scenario until I experienced actual respect of my personal boundaries. So fuck you for having the absolute audacity to even imply that I would have hooked up with you if you were actually capable of making a move, which again, you weren't, Because even when you sat with me on the couch to watch Tiger King, I was on an opposite end, covered with a blanket, with no overlap. Nor would I have let you, which is why I think you knew not to. We literally have not talked since this conversation, for the most part. It also coincides with around the time I started my blog, and despite supposedly being my best friend, which should mean growing with me and allowing me to change my mind on things like life goals without being disrespectful or judgmental, He was very adamantly anti-blog. He said it contradicted with my life goals, which is clearly how he didn't know me growing up because everyone who has actually gone to school with me my entire life has almost been completely 
unsurprised by my recent trajectory and plan. It also made me appreciate Strider that much more because he would ask me to cover certain topics or entertain my train of thought and was attracted to it. Yet in one day, I lost my best friend, the person I talked to almost every day about everything, including how I was struggling with my PTSD, which it turns out is CPTSD, and the recovery from that has just truly been a delight. Insert eye roll here. What they don't tell you about mental health is that it takes a whole lot of fucking courage to even admit what has happened to you, even just to yourself, even without stigma, even with a support group, even with love and progress and new surroundings. It hurts like hell to recognize the lack of emotional support and love you received as a child. It hurts to recognize how your pattern of dysfunctional relationships, which granted got less and less dysfunctional as the years passed, were the result of being taught unconditional love meant for giving people who were physically and emotionally abusing you. That's a dangerous precedent to set for family because that becomes what you expect out of relationships and friendships as well. I don't know though. I gotta say there's a hell of a lot of validation in it for me that I never fucked him or did anything with him. I don't really care that he walked away bitter because to me a legitimate friend wouldn't have cared that I could only provide friendship for him. I got placed into the fuck zone and he got mad because I actually genuinely valued his friendship and needed him in my life and couldn't afford or mentally think about complicating that, especially not with the gravity of my self-reflection over the last two years. It's a bit frustrating, mostly because I worry that it'll happen again. Why is it so hard to just be friends with the ladies in your adult life? I had another friend who recently admitted they had feelings for me, which I gotta say, I was really happy in the way that they approached me about it, but only after I felt really uncomfortable in their physical presence for about three minutes, and they knew, and had they been honest with themselves, I don't think they would have had to question the scenario at all. Or I think they would and should have saved themselves the initial encounter. I'll circle back to their approach, but for the record, they were definitely misreading things, which maybe for people who don't see me interact around others and thus don't realize this is just who I am, they might take my friendliness and cynical wit as flirting, but I still don't see how that's my fault. Who I am is who I am. I'll be upfront with you, but you have to ask the questions. And then you have to ask yourself if you're scared to ask me them because you're intimidated by me or because you know I'm not going to give you the answer that you want. I think a lot of men think about the attractiveness of their opposite sex friendships and because they might find some of those ladies sexually attractive, they don't actually consider whether they would be good partners. Sure, they might be compatible at base value in a relationship because they are already friends, but if they would stop to ask or even think about what relationship values look like, what familial dynamic they expect, religion, whether they'd be open to children, the familial trauma they've endured, and health considerations moving forward, how maybe they just need a fucking friend right now and not a boyfriend, ways they like to spend their time, I think a lot of discrepancy would be adjusted. Just because you want to stick your dick into someone and you get along with them on face value doesn't mean you'd actually have a good relationship. And maybe this is the detriment of the typical male versus female friendships. I've had an extensive array of both. With reference to my male friendships, I've sometimes been the first woman who they've actually been able to emotionally open up to simply because I myself am so emotionally open. That's just who I am. 
I connect with everyone like that unless you are scared to confront your own shit, in which case I probably make you very angry. I am sure it is alluring, especially to those who otherwise lack that emotional support. Please don't conflate this with romance. This is literally friendship. You are allowed emotional support in your friendships and emotional intimacy is intimacy, but it is not inherently sexual. Learning about what makes the people in your life who they are is part of being their friend. Maybe because so many male-male friendships are dependent almost exclusively on sports and specific hobbies, but you can be emotionally dependent on people outside of your relationship. You can talk to your friends about the shit you're struggling with. If they don't stick with you, it is not always a reflection on you. Sometimes they're just shitty friends or maybe it highlights a reality in their life they can't address at that time and maybe never will. Sometimes you'll realize a lifestyle change means losing friends who were using you for access to things, drugs, alcohol, a party house, rides, Those aren't your real friends, and real friends are out there, but you have to have the space for them. Female-female friendships talk about everything. We describe things in detail. Men, if you think your women don't tell their best friend every little detail, you're delusional. Or your woman is lying to you. Get the fuck over it. Life is not always some big secret and you don't need to be embarrassed about things that make you human. Even if society in this masochistic patriarchal world has told you to suppress your emotions publicly, be the provider. Be the strong one. Read, not vulnerable emotionally. Be the alpha male, as if we haven't read about the difference in chimpanzee and bonobo culture and seen exactly why alpha males are not the future. Expressing yourself as a human is necessary for actual happiness. And there is so much repression in the USA, emotionally, sexually, artistically, and creatively because of professionalism, that we have literally moved away from what it actually means to be human in favor of simplistic lizard creatures who lack emotion, in favor of simplicity and productivity, and the guise of an ideal public image. It's disgusting. Personally, I like being able to provide an objective female perspective for my male friends. I've helped a lot of them figure out ways to approach their way of thinking or understand where their spouses or partners are coming from when both of them were otherwise lacking in the communication range. The idea that you are only supposed to be close with your partner is a toxic mentality perpetuated by controlling abusive relationships. Yes, in the olden age, before the internet, social media, and affordable air travel, this might have been the case due to physicality limitations. This is not that world anymore. Your support network should have layers of all sexes and all different types of people. I have, however, noticed the difficulties of maintaining these friendships in adulthood. Likely in part because I am conventionally attractive and formal education is less strictly scheduled and involves more non-traditional outlets for meetups, such as in a bar setting. I know some of them think about me sexually. I don't care. I don't think about them like that. I don't give them any cues or indication that I'm into them, and I make it clear I don't mentally have those expectations if they do approach me about it. Completing the circle. My other friend I referenced ended up texting me after I hung out with him about wanting to ask me a question. Now, I have stated several times I don't like physical contact, not just with him on this blog, I mean. I know some friends like hugs, but I do not like being walked out to my car and expected to have any physical contact of any kind. Want to keep me safe? Watch me from the driveway several feet away. Please don't invade my personal space. Rick and Morty should have made that clear. It's not about you, it's about the extent of abuse in my past. 
I know it's just a nice gesture that he does because it's him, but it was just a lack of awareness for a personal boundary of mine that he ignored mainly because he wanted the opportunity to present itself. Naturally, I hugged him, had a very awkward, okay, bye, as I turned away abruptly, got in my car, and shut the door before I could feel any more uncomfortable, and then, of course, I later got that text. I'm not an idiot. I knew what it was going to be about. Granted, he had a lot going on the rest of the weekend, so it took him a few days to follow up, also because I didn't respond until the next morning. And when he did, he texted me and asked if he could talk to me about something. This is about as close to the right scenario as you can get, I think, so we're going to give him a kudos, even though the whole awkward hug at the car thing happened. When I said, sure, ask away, or some variation, he called me, a little annoying, as I personally don't like phone calls. I either like FaceTime or texting. But in this context, understanding tone of voice and delivery is important and asked me how I felt and whether I saw this in any romantic context. And even though I know he was disappointed that I was very clear I did not feel the same, nor was I in a place in my life where this is helpful in any way, shape, or form, as I had just explained how I was moving back south and spoke about a guy while we were hanging out, (laughs) he at least respected my answer and let me explain the aforementioned fuck zoning incident, my concerns about it affecting our friendship or similarly happening going forward, And frankly, the response and his patience in listening to me made my respect for him go up. He also really hasn't let it affect our friendship, at least that I'm aware of. In truth, I think if he actually saw me with other people more frequently, he'd get it. That I wasn't treating him special, that this is just who I am with everyone, that I connect this well pretty easily because I'm so open and honest and willing to talk about the harsh shit because life isn't a highlight reel. And granted, I don't look or have an interest in partners that I can't see myself growing older and experiencing the highs and lows of life with, so I get why that opening would be alluring and can't really fault him. It's easy to be around for the highs and when it's convenient. What I value above all is being there when it's not. But the connection I feel with a very select few individuals isn't like any of my friendships. And I can't really explain it. I just believe in it. To be honest, me being a closet romantic shouldn't be strange to anyone. Your gal is an artist and watched The Notebook almost every night for a year my freshman year of college. I know it's really hard, especially when you're worried about opening up to someone because you perceive doing so as being judged, whether it's for mental health, familial concerns, etc. And when you finally get to, it seems like it's cruel for them to not reciprocate your advances. Might I remind you that women all over the world are constantly being murdered for this? If this is that intimate for you, please just start getting a therapist who can remind you professionally and objectively that this is just friendship and that friends and partners will not and should not judge you for these things, especially not if you're committed to growth and learning. This is also why we need to be able to colloquially discuss sex in less repressed terminology. So men won't get confused or overassume when you talk about this that it has to be in reference to them or it's some kind of advance versus just a question to understand the male mentality even if I go out of my way to specify this and you know all my favorite comedians. And so maybe men in my DMs won't ask me for advice on their current relationships while also saying they wish they had tried harder with me as if they're the type of person I would have ever been into. Or as if that's not completely disrespectful to their actual current relationship and myself for thinking that I would find that a compliment. Because a lot of men take rejection as failure instead of women are their own whole ass human beings and their sole value as human beings on a floating rock in space should not be tied to their sexuality in reference to you. And if you use their lack of sexual interest as a reason to exile them from your life, you never actually cared about them in any beneficial context. So by all means, good riddance.
Instead of placing me in the fuck zone, be like my friend Dylan from undergrad and MTV's The Real World Season 38, who would have loved to fuck me, along with most women on the planet, and made that obvious, but also was literally never pushy, never creepy, was an actual friend. He sat with me, talked track with me, respected my boundaries, and talked relationships, and never took it as an insult to himself that I wasn't into him. And I fully attribute this to his own self-confidence and colloquial views towards sexuality. He's actually a great example in a lot of ways of how you can be sexually forward or comment on appearance in ways that are literally just objective statements without expectation, not creepy and lingering stares. And I think it comes down to how casually he speaks about it, his delivery, and his responses to your reaction. Thou shalt never know the touch of my hand, tongue, mouth, or interior on your penis. Now you all can go fuck yourselves because I sure as hell won't.